So plan on uh, Monday night, supper, free, and uh, the uh, love offering, we have it on camera, how much you give, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of make sure that all takes place, all right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you tonight. Just the joy to be in your house. Worship you and praise the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that on this Monday night that uh, you saw fit to let us be here. We're not off somewhere uh, gallivanting around and yet Lord we're in your house we're here to worship you God I pray tonight your Holy Spirit would have control of everything 
Uh, thank you for Dr. John. Thank you for uh, Dr. Mike as he comes in just a few moments. And Lord, I just thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place tonight. Lord, let your spirit guide, direct, lead in everything that we do, everything we say, everything we give, everything we, we either utter and even think with our hearts and our minds. We're thankful and blessed. Thank you again for letting us live in America. Thank you, God, that uh, we live in the land of plenty. And Lord, you've blessed us so much as a nation, as a church, and as families. So today we just praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you so much again for being here. And uh, you, you'll see in the uh, ads there all of the different men of God we've got coming and different music guys each week too. And we are excited, let me tell you, to have this choir back here. Uh, I don't know whose idea it was to take a month off in the summer, but I'll tell you what. It wasn't yours? Oh, really? Well, they're saying it was you. Huh? That, they, they all told me they want to be up here. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, reprimand number two if you were here yesterday morning. All right. But we're thankful uh, that you're here tonight. Tonight, Dr. Mike Stone from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Blackshear, Georgia. It's about an hour and a half north of Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, he went there as a minister of music in 2002, no, 1996. And then God changed his ministry and he became the pastor in 2002. So he's been there 20 plus years. He's done a great job. I've, you've heard me tell you this before. I voted for him last year as for president of the Southern Baptist Convention. I wish he would have run this year. I'd have voted for him again. And I know many of you feel the same way. But he's a man of God. He's been in different, uh, uh, different elected uh, places in the Georgia Convention and in the Southern Baptist Convention. And I believe with all my heart, there's not a better man of God preaching anywhere in our convention than Dr. Mike Stone. And so I want you to give him a Texas welcome uh, when he comes up here in just a few moments. And let's just see what God wants to do tonight. All right? All right. Let's carry on, brother. <laughs> Thank you. 
forgot where we were going. Tell me where we're going. <laughs> I got caught up. Excuse me. I'm there. Here we go.
The psalmist said, in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Thank you, brother, for taking us to the presence of the Lord. Would you thank him again and thank the Lord for our ministry and music tonight? Well, I know that it is a school night and a work night, so we're going to dive right into God's Word. Would you take your copy of the Scriptures and join me, please, in the book of 2 Corinthians, that's right after the book of 1 Corinthians. Would you find, please, 2 Corinthians chapter 1? And while you're locating 2 Corinthians chapter 1, let me say what a wonderful privilege and an honor it is to be in this wonderful church. Pastor Charles, thank you so much for extending the invitation for me to be here this evening. I want to do a little uh, uh, Bible teaching tonight, maybe do a little bit of preaching along the way. And to be honest, I came tonight led of the Lord to set the record straight about a misunderstanding about the Word of God. So you need to listen very carefully. Don't be like the elderly couple that were sitting on the front porch one night. They're about 85 years old. They'd been married for over 60 years. And the old gentleman's heart was full of love and romance as he leaned over toward the old lady and said, Ma, for 60 years I found you tried and true. She cupped her hand to her ear and said, Huh? He said a little louder, For 60 years, I found you tried and true. She said, Speak up, old man. You know I don't have my hearing aid in. He yelled as loudly as he could, For 60 years, I found you tried and true. She said, Well, that makes two of us I'm about sick and tired of you, too. <laughs> but I do want to ask you to listen very, very carefully so that you don't misunderstand or misquote what I want to share with you tonight from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 8, 9, and 10. And I'll label the message tonight. Listen to the title carefully. God will... Put more on you than you can bear. 
God will put more on you than you can bear. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to start our reading in verse 8. If you're able and willing, I'll invite you to stand to your feet as we show honor and reverence to the reading of God's inspired, infallible, inerrant, absolutely sufficient, completely authoritative word. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. The Apostle Paul writes, For we do not want you to be unaware or ignorant, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word as we take our seats all across the building tonight. Now at the introduction of this message, I want to encourage you to not respond out loud. Now I preach in a lot of different places and you don't have to tell most Baptist crowds to not respond out loud while you're preaching. But hold your amen or your comment for just a moment and I'll let you know when you can start amening again because I want to pose a series of questions and if you're not careful, you'll jump in with an amen or an oh me at the wrong spot and I don't want to embarrass you at least at the outset of the message. Listen to this series of questions. What if I were to tell you that Jack Webb as Sergeant Joe Friday never said just the facts, ma'am. What if I told you that Sherlock Holmes never said elementary, my dear Watson? What if I told you that the wicked queen in Snow White never said mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Well, it might interest you to know that Joe Friday regularly said all we want are the facts, ma'am. And in the original literary novel series by Sir Arthur Cannon Doyle, Sherlock Holmes frequently called his sidekick, my dear Watson, he frequently said elementary, but in the original book series, those phrases were never put together. And as for the wicked queen in Snow White, the original statement was magic mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? I submit tonight you could go your entire life, your entire marriage, and you could have a mistaken belief in those famous misquotes and they would never hurt you, harm you, or hinder you. But there is a misquote that is frequently attributed to the Bible that I believe has brought a lot of discouragement and depression to the people of God. Listen to the misquote and we'll spend the next 45 minutes setting the record straight. It is frequently misattributed to God that the Bible says God will never put more on you than you can bear. I've seen that on bumper stickers. I've seen it on car tags. God knows if Baptists can sell something, we'll put it on toilet paper and soap on a rope. And it is said that the Bible teaches God will never put more on you than you can bear. But listen, friend, it just ain't so. Now, sometimes when I hear a misquote, 
I immediately know what it is a twisting of. And in the present case, I believe that I know what it is that God really did say that people misquote him as saying he won't put more on you than you can bear. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, the Word of God says that God is faithful who will not suffer you, will not allow you to be tempted. Would you say the word tempted? He will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, but will with the temptation, would you say temptation? temptation. Provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What that promise in 1 Corinthians 10 says is that God in his faithfulness to his people will never allow you to be so overwhelmed with temptation to sin that you can't help but sin. But when temptation comes, God in his steadfast faithfulness to his people will provide a back door, a trap door, a side door, a way of escape so that you don't have to succumb to sin and temptation in this world. But listen, dear friend, that verse is dealing with temptation. It has nothing to do with testing or trouble or trial. That promise has to do with sin, but it doesn't have one blessed thing to do with sorrow or struggle or strife. Now you can say amen. The Bible does not teach that God won't put more on you than you can bear. In fact, right here in the inspired words of the blessed apostle Paul, we learn exactly the opposite. And the question before us tonight, what am I to do as a child of God when trouble knocks on my door and the trouble is more than I can take? When heartache knocks on my heart and the hurt is more than I can handle? What are we to do when God in his providence and sovereignty puts more on us than we can bear. There are three simple truths I want to show you tonight, and I don't apologize for this message. I've got some messages that can make you shout more, laugh more, cry more, throw Bibles and babies in the air more, but this is the message the Lord has set before us tonight. There are three things we need to do when trouble comes into your life and it seems to be more than you can bear. Three simple truths tonight. You ought to jot these down on a slip of paper. Number one, there is no cause to be surprised at God. There's no cause to be surprised when difficulty and trouble comes into our life. In fact, if you look in our text tonight, I hope you kept your Bible open, look in verse eight. He says, for we do not want you to be unaware or ignorant brethren. He says, I wanna set the record straight. Maybe you've been hoodwinked. Maybe you've been fooled. Maybe you've been bamboozled. I don't want you to be uneducated about the, the issue of trouble in the life of a believer. Now, there are three things I want to say about this truth. First, I want to say a word about the reality of suffering. The reality of suffering, because if you watch enough of the Joy Boys on TBN, you'll get the mistaken notion that when you knelt at an altar of prayer, repented of your sin, trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, that along with justif justification and forgiveness of sin, You'll come to believe that you got a Teflon suit that immunized you from trouble, that exempted you from difficulty, and it's just not the truth. 
Let me tell you what's going to happen the day that you get free from troubles and trials. They're going to put a tag on your toe, a black wreath on your door, and somebody up at the church house is going to start rehearsing Sweet Beulah Land to sing at your memorial service. They're going to get your hobbies and all of your family members listed right for the obituary, and you'll be in the presence of God. But until then, Jesus said, In this world ye shall have tribulation. Somebody wants to say, Wait a minute. Doesn't the Lord say that he's taken me to a place where there'll be no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more separation? Yeah, you are going to that place one day if you're saved, but you ain't in that place tonight. You're in Longview, Texas. Didn't Jesus say he's preparing a place for me where he'll wipe away every tear from our eye? Isn't that day coming? Yeah, but we're not on that day yet. It's August the 8th, 2022. And Jesus himself said, that as long as you live on the north side of the dirt, you're going to face old-fashioned T-R-O-U-B-L-E in this life. I'm talking about the reality of suffering. Simon Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 4:12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come among you. It's come upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Some of you are old enough to remember that Karen Carpenter used to sing I'm on the top of the world looking down on creation. Hey, nobody lives at the top of the world all the time, not even Santa Claus. I actually get a little suspicious of people who are always having a great day. I mean, every time you see them, how are you doing? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, blessed. And sound like they swallowed a steeple. If you live long enough, you're going to have trouble in this life. Paul says in our opening of the text, I don't want you to be unaware, ignorant or uneducated about the issue of trouble, the reality of suffering. I want to say a word also about the realm of suffering. Where does this suffering exist? It exists in this world. In John 16, is where Jesus said, In this world you shall have tribulation. Paul goes out of his way to remind his Corinthian readers, we suffered this difficulty while we were in Asia. Would it interest you to know what they were doing in Asia? They weren't out of the will of God. They weren't chasing wild women and spending nights in drunkenness and debauchery. They were winning souls to Jesus. They were planting churches. They were training leaders. They were, they were doing the will of God. Now, I've lived in South Georgia all of my life, so I don't know if you know this phrase. Do you know the word, do you know the phrase smack dab? They were smack dab in the middle of the will of God for their life. And that did not keep them out of trouble. Now you better put that down plain and straight in your mind because anytime the people of God go through difficulty, it won't be long before there's a knock on the door and it's Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar. That's right. Now the people chuckling sitting next to you know their Bible better than you do. Those are the three friends of Job who showed up in time to tell him if there's struggle in your life, there must be sin in your life. If you've got difficulty in your life, they said there must be disobedience in your life. And hey, friend, sometimes that's true, but it's not ever necessarily so. The realm of suffering, it reigns on the just and the unjust, and trouble knocks on the, on the door of the saved and the lost alike. The reality of suffering. 
the realm of suffering. Before I move on, I want to say a few words about the reasons for suffering. Again, the apostle Paul was in the center of the will of God for his life. Verse 8 says that this trouble happened, trouble happened while we were in Asia. We were where God told us to be. We were doing what God told us to do. We were doing it the way God told us to do it. And friend, if you've never cried in the darkness of the midnight hour and been tempted to shake a clenched fist into the face of God and say, God, I've been doing everything right that I know to do. I've been trying to serve you. I tried to raise my kids to know you. I give and I serve and I work and I do my best to obey the commandments of your scripture. But God, I don't understand why I'm in this mess of trouble that I'm in. The Bible would give us a number of reasons why suffering comes into the life of a believer. Let me just limit our discussion real quickly to three of them. Sometimes trouble comes because of the transgressions of others. I'm looking at some people tonight that have lived long enough to know sometimes you toss and turn at night and your bed feels like a granite slab. Your pillow feels like a sack full of doorknobs and it's because of sins committed against you or against somebody you love and you don't have a blessed thing to do with it. Some of you have tossed and turned because of the way a son-in-law has treated your daughter or because of a grandson that's off in a life of homosexuality, a granddaughter that's come out of the closet, a friend that betrayed you, a business partner that stabbed you in the back, somebody in the church that lied about you, maligned you, and mistreated you. And you can kneel at an altar of prayer, and you can say, God, my heart is pure, my hands are clean, but my clean heart is burdened, and my clean hands are ringing with trouble in my life because of the transgression." Of others. Sometimes suffering comes because of the tactics of Satan. Ephesians 6:12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 1 Peter 5:8 says, We have an adversary, the devil, who's roaming around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Some years ago, a senior adult lady sat in my pastor's office and I knew a lot of trouble in her life. She was facing trouble from every side. Trouble in her marriage, trouble with her children, trouble with her grandchildren, trouble on her job, trouble with her finances. And she asked me, Pastor, why does it seem like I'm being shot at from every side? I said, I want to be honest enough to tell you, it probably feels that way because as best I can tell, you're being shot at from every side. The Christian life is not a cruise ship, it's a battleship. And sometimes trouble comes because of the transgression of others. Sometimes it comes by the tactic of Satan. But friends, sometimes trouble comes into our lives by the training of God. There have been moments in my life I've knelt at an altar of prayer and I've asked God to get the devil off of me only to sense the Lord say, child, that's not the devil. That's me. God knows his children well enough to know that some lessons are best learned, listen to me now, at the school of hard knocks. There are some lessons that are better learned in the valley than up on the mountaintop. 
And I've lived long enough to know, Pastor, there are some lessons that can't be learned up on the mountaintop at all. You can only learn them at the training academy of God down in the valley of death and sorrow and despair. This is what the songwriter Andre Crouch had in mind when he wrote some beautiful words and said, I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There have been times I didn't even know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave blessed consolation that my trials come to only make me strong. Do you remember what he wrote next? So I'll thank him for the mountain, and I'll even thank him for the valley. I'm going to thank him for the storm that he's brought me through because if I'd never had a problem, I'd have never known that God could solve them. I'd never known what faith in God could do. The old songwriter said, so through it all, the good times, the bad times, the hard times, and the easy times. Through, the, through it all, the good, bad, and the ugly. I've learned some things. He said, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned that I can depend upon his word. And if you don't have this straight in your mind, if you believe the, die, the lie from the devil and the Christian bumper sticker that God won't put more on you than you can bear, then sometimes when trouble comes in your life, you'll shake your fist at God and be mad at heaven and you won't have a blessed reason for doing it. There's no cause to be surprised at God. If you don't know yet what I'm preaching about tonight, it's not scratching your itch, ringing your bell, or you don't, let me give you some advice. Keep breathing. You keep breathing long enough, and you're gonna run into trouble. And being saved won't keep you out of trouble. Number one, there's no cause to be surprised at God. I'm moving on now to verse nine, note with me secondly. There's no command to be sufficient without God. There's no command to be sufficient without God. When we say, God, I can't carry this burden anymore. And by the way, if you've, if you've said that before, you're, you're in company with tonight's preacher. I've said that before. God, I can't carry this burden anymore. God might say to you tonight, who told you to carry it in the first place? Well, Lord, I know you said you wouldn't put any more on me that I could bear. God said, I never said that. What I said was cast all your cares on me, for I care for you. What I said was come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When Paul asked me to take the thorn in the flesh away from him, I said, I'm not going to take it away, but I'm going to give you something that's better than temporary relief. I'm going to give you my grace that will be sufficient in the moment of need and you'll find out my strength is perfected not in your ability, not in your intellect, not in your accolades and accomplishment. You'll find my strength is perfected in your weakness. There's no commandment in the Word of God for you to carry one ounce of trouble on your own. And in the ninth verse, I'll show you three aspects of this truth. Number one, there's the principle that we must learn. The principle we must learn. Verse 9 continues, We have the sentence of death in ourselves 
so that we would not trust in ourselves. Well, preacher, if God will put more on me than I can bear on my own, why would he do such a thing? To teach you that you got more than you can handle on your own. To teach you to not trust in yourself. I even heard a Southern Baptist pastor sitting on the gold couch of TBN. You remember the lady with the pink hair on television? And he actually said, God must have more confidence in me than I have in me because he promised he'd never put more on me than I could bear, which wasn't true. But he felt he had more on him than he could bear. So he said, God must have more confidence in me than I have in me. I didn't come to wrinkle your brow tonight. But God ain't got any confidence in you at all. And why should he? And why should you have any confidence in yourself? Listen to me. The average Christian in the average church, our problem is not that we don't have enough confidence in ourselves. Our problem is we've got too much stinking confidence in ourselves and God can evacuate the building, the Spirit of God can leave and we keep right on going. We don't even recognize that he's gone because we don't live a life that's plugged into a power from another world. Here's a principle that we must learn. We cannot trust in ourselves. I remind you the human author of this Corinthian epistle had as much reason as anybody to place confidence in his own self. His resume is given in Philippians chapter 3. I mean, he had all the accolades, all the credentials. He was of the right tribe. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He had climbed to the top of the ladder of religion. There was a moment in his life, if you said, Paul, what's your life's theme song? He would have said, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. But after he'd come to know the Lord and knew what it was like to be maligned, lied about, falsely imprisoned, wrongly accused, chased out of town, beaten with rods, shipwrecked, hungry, cold, hot, thirsty, beaten within an inch of his life, as it were, left for dead. Ask him now, what's your theme song now, Paul, that you've been walking with the Lord Jesus? He might have said, through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me on. Paul needed to learn a lesson to not trust in himself. There's the principle we must learn. Note with me, secondly, the place that we can lean. I'm just working through verse 9. Are you still with me? We had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God. But in God. As Paul learned the lesson of his own inadequacy, he simultaneously was reminded about the power and the strength of God. What happened in his life is that God in his providence allowed Paul to go through something that Paul could not handle on his own. And he turned his face and his eyes and his heart to God. 
and said, if I'm going to survive this, I dare not trust in the strength of my own flesh. I dare not rely upon myself. I've got to put my trust, my hope, my confidence in God. By the way, that's a much better promise. I'm talking about a place that you can lean. If you think it's discouraging that the preacher's telling you tonight that God never promised he wouldn't put more on you than you can bear, listen to the truth of the Bible. God did promise he'll never put more on you than he can bear, and that is a much better promise. My father, uh, in early retirement, was able to buy the old Stone family farm. It's about a hundred-acre place in southeast Georgia and my, my dad is approaching 80 years old and he, he, he farms it just, just about every single day. Now I didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up in a neighborhood. I grew up in sort of a little subdivision but my dad had bought the vacant lot next to us and we always had a little garden spot there. Uh, my dad's favorite kind of fertilizer by the way was to get a farmer to bring in a dump truck load of chicken manure. Don't you know we were the favorite neighbors in the subdivision? on wet, windy days. But, but, but I grew up around gardening all my life, but I've observed something in the last several years. My father can get more work done today on his 100-acre farm as he approaches 80 years old than what I saw him do when he was 35 years old with a strong back. You say, how in the world do you do that? Well, when he was a younger man and I was a little boy, he had started his own business. And you small business owners know that all the profits and proceeds went back into the business. So we, we weren't raised poor, but we didn't have a lot of extra. So when my 35-year-old daddy went to work the garden spot next to the house, he grabbed a hoe and a garden rake from the carport and walked over to the vacant lot and he worked with a hoe and a shovel. But now he goes to the pegboard and gets the key to one of his 12 or 13 tractors and he goes out and works his farm. And I want to ask you tonight in simplicity, who do you think can get more work done? A strong young man with a strong back, a will to work, and a hoe? or a man who acknowledges if I'm going to get this task done, I've got to plug in and key in to a power that is far above and beyond my own. I came tonight to encourage somebody. The thing that you need to do to face this struggle is to give up and give in and give it all over to God and say, God, I cannot handle this problem on my own. I cannot carry this burden on my own. But I pray tonight that I'm learning to lean, learning to lean, learning to lean on Jesus. And when I do that, listen, I'm finding more power than I've ever dreamed. Learning to lean on Jesus. There's a principle we must learn. Paul said we need to learn not to trust in ourselves. There's a place we can lean, he says, but in God. But as we think about the fact there's no command for us to be sufficient, note with me thirdly, there's a picture that we should love. A picture that we should love. It's right at the end of verse 9. Look at it. But in God who raises the dead. Now this is where I need a little classroom participation. 
Why did the Apostle Paul, under divine inspiration, describe the power of God as a God who could raise the dead? There are a lot of phrases he could have used to describe the power of our God. He could have said, we put our hope in a God who can speak and everything is created out of nothing. That would have been the truth. Amen, church? He could have said, we need to place our trust in a God who can open the eyes of the blind. Would have been true, right? He could have said, our hope is in a God who can unstop the ears of the deaf, loosen the stammering tongue, cleanse the lepers, strengthen the lame, heal the crippled. He could have said, our hope is in a God who can multiply sack lunch and feed a multitude, walk on water, turn water into wine. Our hope is in a God who can can speak and mountains can be moved. All of that would have been gloriously and graciously true. Why? Does he say we're putting our hope in a God who raises the dead? I remind you what he said in the previous verse. We thought this trouble was going to take our life. And I just submit to you tonight that if you think that a situation is going to take your very life, pretty good idea to have trust in a God who just flat knows how to raise the dead. Paul seems well content to say that if the power and the glory of the risen Christ can be on display through the troubles and difficulties of my life, then I will glory in my infirmity. I will glory in my weakness that the power of the risen Christ may be displayed in me. I'm talking about the picture that we should love. Lean lean in close. Nobody here but us tonight, so let's just talk for just a moment. You are never in a better place to be a witness for Jesus than when your friends and family members watch you go through difficulty pastor preached yesterday I believe out of Matthew in part about soul winning how Jesus saw the crowd as sheep without a shepherd and when you're lost I'm talking about people that are hell bound trapped in their sin when they see you respond biblically and faithfully to trouble in your life you are never going to be better positioned to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Could I say it negatively for a moment? Why should your lost grandchildren want to place their eternal hope in the God you say can provide for all your needs, but you are constantly wringing your hands about bills you don't know how to pay? If you won't trust him with your light bill, Granny, why should I trust him with my soul? You tell me that I should trust your Jesus with my eternal destiny. You don't even trust him with your doctor's report. Why should I give my life to a God that you say can take me to heaven when you wring your hands every time that there's trouble in your own physical body? But I've come tonight to say you'll be in a position to share the gospel of Jesus when somebody in your life says, I don't know how you're holding up. I don't know how you're going on. I wouldn't be able to endure 
what you're going through. And that's when you say, well, I've got a secret. Before I met Jesus, I'd be in the same spot you're in. I wouldn't know how to be handling this either. But the secret to me handling this is I'm not the one handling it. I've given my life. I've given my destiny. I've given my soul. I've given my eternity. And I've even given my earthly trouble over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And even if this situation, listen to me, even if this situation takes my life, that ain't going to be the end for me because when they lay me six feet under the South Georgia dirt, one glorious daybreak, I'm going to hear the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and my dead body is going to rise up from the grave saying, Death, where is your victory? Grave, where is your sting? In South Georgia, we'd say, Devil, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, you've got nothing on me, and I'll place my hope in a God who is able to even raise the dead. There's no command for you to be sufficient without God. There's no cause for you to be surprised at God. But all that is my introduction. And now is my 45-minute sermon. Have you been paying attention up to this point? You know what I would do if I thought you hadn't been paying attention? I'd start over at the very beginning and repeat everything I've just said. Are you getting that? There's no, there's no cause for you to be surprised at God. Any more than you should be shocked by the sunrise. Trouble's coming. There's no command for you to be sufficient without God. Third truth, we find it in verse 10. There's no chance for you to be separated from God. You shouldn't be surprised. You won't be sufficient. <laughs> but bless the name of the Lord, you cannot be separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And perhaps one is in the room tonight or watching online and you say, okay, I stand corrected. God will put more on me than I can bear. Preacher, how do I now Respond. I want to close this message tonight by just giving you three little hooks of hope that you can hang the hat of your faith upon. Number one, God's performance behind you. I'm looking at some gray-haired saints tonight and many younger people in this room that you've lived long enough you could testify with King David. I was young, and now I'm old. But I have never seen the righteous forsaken. God has been mighty, mighty good to me. Look at it in verse 10. He's just said our hope is in God who raises the dead. Verse 10, who delivered us. Past tense. Talk to me. Delivered. E-D. That's past tense. Who delivered us from so great a peril of death. Paul is looking in the rearview mirror of his life. He's taking a glance down memory lane. And as he faces the difficulty of this day, he encourages himself with this fact. This isn't the first trouble I've ever faced. And God has always come through for me.
He's never failed, not one time. And he's not going to start tonight. I can look back at trouble and difficulty in my life, and sometimes I just have to encourage myself in the Lord that, God, you came through here, and you came through here, and you came through here and here and here and here and here. God, you're batting a thousand. You've got a 100% success rate. And it just reminds me you're going to come through yet again. Perhaps one in this room tonight, you've got a bill you don't know how you're going to pay. Probably not the first time you've ever been there, but God came through in the past. Maybe you're facing a bad doctor's report. Most likely that's not the first bad news you ever got from the doctor, but Jesus showed up and reminded you he's still in the healing business. He's not retired. He's not put up his shingle. He's still the God who is able to heal. And God has come through time and time again in the past. Oh, friend, could I just testify for a moment? He saved me when I was lost. He's healed me when I've been sick. He's comforted me when I've been hurt. He's shielded me when I've been attacked. He's protected me when I've been abused. He's lifted me when I've fallen. He's welcomed me home when I've strayed into the land of prodigal living. He's restored me when I've gone into a backslidden condition. My God has proven himself to me time and time and time and time again. And Paul says, he's delivered me in the past. I've got confidence he'll deliver me yet again. Earlier this year, we were going through one of the most difficult trials I've ever faced in my life. I have four children. That ought to tell you. (laughs) Four kids from age 10 to almost 20. That's enough to keep you prayed up. We're going through a great difficulty. And I was scheduled to drive from South Georgia up to Tennessee where I was preaching at several different places over a four-day period of time. And for the first time in my preaching ministry, Pastor, I thought I was going to have to call those places and tell them I was not going to be able to come. As a husband and a dad, the shepherd of my home, I thought, I probably don't need to leave right now. I think my wife needs me at home. And so it was her that came. She came and said, I I think you need to go. We're going to be fine. I really wasn't sure if I was supposed to go or not, but I got in my truck and I listened to uh, Enlighten Radio. That's Southern Gospel Music on XM Radio. And when I, when I, I'm heading down the street in front of my house, Torn and confused, more than a little bit scared. And a song came on that I hadn't heard since I was in high school. They started singing, three Hebrew boys were thrown into the fire because before the king they would not bow. They said, well, listen, king, let it be known 
We serve a living God. We're not alone. Well, I know my God can do it to him. There's nothing to it. I know he'll see you through with sweet victory. Well, even when storms are raging, he is the rock of ages. I know that he is able. Mighty is he. They kept going and said, they marched around the walls of Jericho. Well, they knew those walls would fall. God told them so. And just like he worked for them, he's working now. Well, my God will never fail. He has great power. Well, I know my God can do it to him. There's nothing to it. I know he'll see me through with sweet victory. Well, even when storms are raging, he is the rock of ages. I said he is. He is the rock of ages. Hey, balcony, he is the rock of ages. I know that he is able, mighty is he. Paul said, you've come through for me in the past. And it strengthens my soul to know the God who delivered him yesterday is still on the throne today. Oh, hang your hope on God's performance behind you. Secondly, in verse 10, we see God's promises before you who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He's now gone from the past tense to the present tense, indeed into the future tense. He says, I know that what God has done in the past, God is going to do again. Now lean in close and I'm almost finished. This kind of faith only comes from the Word of God. This kind of faith doesn't come off the back of a box of Kellogg's Apple Jacks. This is one of many reasons you need to study the Word of God and memorize the Word of God and hide the Word of God in your heart, not only so that you won't sin against God, but so that your faith will be fortified. For this kind of faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. There's going to come a crisis moment in your life. You may be living in that crisis moment tonight that you've got to decide, am I going to base my emotion, my spirit, my outlook on what I can see with my eyes, hear with my ears, touch with my hands, and feel with my emotions, or am I gonna base my outlook on the promises in the precious and perfect Word of God? And you'll never even be able to ask that question, much less make the right decision if you don't know what God has said about the situation that you face. So, so, so to endure this kind of difficulty, you gotta notice God's performance behind you God's promises before you. Note with me finally, God's presence within you. Oh, weren't our hearts blessed a moment ago when our brother sang about being in the presence of Jehovah. And troubles vanish. Hearts are mended in the presence of the king. Look at the last phrase in verse 10. I want you to see I'm not making this up who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He, not what, but he on whom we have set our hope. Notice he says, he on whom we have set our hope. 
Not what we've set our hope on. We haven't set our hope on a thing or an it. Listen, church. He says, I've fixed my hope to a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. For you see, biblical faith, listen now, biblical faith is not based on an outcome. Biblical faith is based on a person. Biblical faith is not based on what you think the outcome is going to be. Biblical faith is based on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're facing a possible pink slip or a layoff, biblical faith is not based on you keeping your job. Biblical faith is based on a God who said, I will supply all your needs according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So no matter what the circumstance ends up being, my faith is sure because it's anchored to the sure rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's presence within you. It was 1893 when a faithful old saint of God lay on her deathbed. In our day, they would have been called hospice in. Her body was failing, but her mind was sharp. She called for the preacher. She and everybody in the room knew she would not live to see another sunrise. So the Presbyterian pastor came over to visit with her. She sent all of her family out of the room. She wanted to speak with the preacher alone. Preacher, she said, you know about all the trouble in my family. I'm the glue that's kind of been holding the family together. You know that happens with patriarchs and matriarchs in the family. She, What's going to happen to my family when I die? And the preacher said to her, well, I don't know what to tell you except by sunrise you know you'll be with the Lord. And I would just encourage you to tell Jesus. She got a pale look on her face. He worried for a moment that perhaps he had given her a trite little answer. As he was about to apologize, her countenance changed yet again. Her face lit up and she said, Oh, preacher, that's it. I'm going to go and I'm going to tell Jesus all of my trials. The preacher was Elisha Hoffman. That night he went home and wrote a little poem. He couldn't get that thought out of his mind. You've sung his little poem before. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress he kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for his own. So I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, 
Jesus. Here's the good news. Jesus can help me. Jesus alone. And the church said amen. amen. Would you bow in prayer with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Just remove distraction. I've learned from 20 years of pastoring that the revival that some people need is a revival of the conviction of sin. To be called home from the life of the prodigal. But there's another kind of revival the people of God often need. It's the revival that a tired man gets from a good night's sleep. A thirsty man gets from a glass of water. Or a troubled child of God gets when they sense God lift a burden. Tonight, I don't know what life circumstance you're facing, but I've got good news for you tonight. Jesus can help you. Come tell Jesus. Father in heaven, would you be pleased to move in this time of public commitment, lifting, burden-shouldering problems on the same big, strong back that carried our sin up a blood-stained pathway to Golgotha's hill and Calvary's cross. May your people tonight walk in victory as you lift and remove burdens for the glory of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. In about 60 seconds, we're going to stand and begin to sing. Give you an opportunity to respond publicly. I want you to know that I recognize many of you are not able physically to come and kneel even at one of these prayer benches. And if that's you and you want to do business with the Lord, just turn the back of that pew in front of you into a place of prayer and just get as close to that kneeling prayerful position as you can. There may be others you just want to come and walk to the front as a way of saying, Lord, I want to come and do business with you. And there are plenty of people. You've been members of this church for many years, but you've never walked one of these aisles and knelt publicly at a place of prayer what would hinder you tonight from just bringing your burden and leaving it at the feet of the Lord the greatest burden that anybody could have is the burden of sin and if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior this pastor and this congregation would love to talk to you about how you can know the forgiveness of your sin to have eternal life through Jesus Christ as we stand to our feet the pastor is stepping forward to receive you you simply respond the altar is open you come as God leads you
tired, you can just be seated where you are. The time to do business with God is when God's doing business with you. So I want to tell you, if God's moving in your life, don't say no. Say yes to Him. Would you come on? people said amen amen thank you if you would be seated just for a moment I'm going to ask if we've got some godly honest men who would like to be a usher and take our offering if you're not if you've, if you've stolen anything today now don't come down here but 
but it, but but some men have we got some men that could come down here amen there's well i don't know <laughs> good grief i so much for that preacher man hadn't this been a tremendous message you know i oh my soul i I, I couldn't help but just think that God wants to do something a whole lot more than what he's, what's happened. Uh, we didn't hear this message, but we heard a tremendous thought when Dr. Uh, Nathan Lorick was here last week. And this went along with that same thing. And I'm just telling you, I, I think God wants to set some folk free where they can be free and, and serve the Lord. Amen. And uh, so I, I'm excited. I don't think this is anywhere near over. I don't think it's anywhere near over. Uh, I'm excited about what God is going to do. Everything that you give tonight goes to uh, Dr. Mike Stone. Uh, we, we've got a check made out, uh, what I think you may give. If you give more than that, we'll send him another check. Uh, we're not going to keep a dime of it here, uh, but, uh, but we're going to give him a, a minimum anyway. But everything you give goes to him, and, uh, and, uh, and then we'll take care of John, too. Uh, but, uh, uh, I, man, I, I, my heart's just overflowing. Amen. I'm just telling you, I, whew, I, uh, I'm telling you, uh, mm, somebody better pray. Heavenly <laughs> Father, we ask your blessing on this wonderful word that we got and the insight. We use it in our everyday lives, and we share it with others. We thank the blessings of the, the experience and the insight and the word that Brother Stone brought to us tonight and the wonderful music blessings that we've had. And we ask your guidance and direction going forth from this day. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Let me just remind you that we, uh, we need some folk tomorrow to uh, be here around 8.30 or so to put food in and get it ready. We'll be feeding four different schools tomorrow, and uh, we need some folks to go serve there also. And then uh, Wednesday, we'll be doing one school, I believe. Is that right? Christy, where are you at in here? She backslid. Yeah, okay. I think that's right. Is that right, Jason? That's right. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so I encourage you. Hey, it's been great tonight. Next Monday night, same thing. Supper, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock. Dr. Uh, Tim Norman. Uh, that's not right. Tim Moore. I know a Tim Norman, too. But Tim Moore uh, is the uh, new executive director that replaced uh, Dan Reagan in Lamb and Lion Ministry. So it'll be geared toward prophecy next week. And uh, it's going to be a great Monday night. And then the following Monday night is Dr. Lloyd Scott from Porta Tour, Texas. And uh, he is a wonderful, wonderful man of God. And then the last Sunday night, last Monday night is Dr. Robert Jefferson. And so we're excited about that. Uh, so th this is all month. Bring somebody back with you. By the end of the month, let's fill this thing up. Amen. Uh, this, uh, it's just going to get better and better. All right. I uh, think you see everything else in the bulletin and everything. Don't forget Hilltoppers tomorrow, too. If you don't know what a Hilltopper is, that's somebody that's 55 and not dead yet. Uh, <laughs> so come join us, and we'll have a great time of fellowship and all, and, uh, and bring some food with you, and we'll have a great time. Remember to pray for Brother Aaron and his family. They leave early in the morning uh, going for vacation uh, and to get some time away. So remember to pray for them. All right? Any, anything else I miss? Would you stand with me? Thank you so much again for being here. It's a great Monday night crowd. I love to tell the story. Twill be my Great to have Brother Joseph Adams with us from First Baptist Hughes Springs. Lead us in our closing prayer, Brother Joseph.